0: Well, I'm glad you're here today, and hopefully, hopefully when you leave, you're going to be even more glad, because I got nothing but good news for you today, right? Um, For us, even the bad news is good news, right? I mean, what's what's the bad news? None of us are making it out alive, (laughs) right? I mean, that's, you know... Why do you ride those death machine dirt bikes? (laughs) Going to die of something, you know. Might as well be smiling. But the bad news is, we are all going to die. We are all going to die. And it's scary. And every single time you go to a funeral, it never feels right. And you don't know what to say. Uh, Because it is unnatural. God did not create us for death. He created us for life. Uh, and there's something that's within us. There's something that we understand uh, about that. That's written in our conscience. That's written in our hearts. That we know and understand. Man, this just isn't right. It just doesn't feel right. It's always awful. You know what I mean? It ought to just be like, you know, well, where, where, where's 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 so and so been? Oh, they died. Oh man. Hey, well, let's go. Let's go get some coffee. You know, like it's just it's 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 a natural part of life. Everybody's going to die, and yet. Human beings are so freaked out by it, uh, and that speaks to an innate understanding that we have within our hearts, because it's been put there by God, that this is not it, that, that this is not what we were meant for. The, the, the thought and the idea, which is so sad to me, that people have or espouse or, or claim to hold to, that, that this is it, that this is all we have, and that after this, that's it, that's the end. My goodness, you know, it's that hope that we have, it's that glorious hope, it's that hope uh, of the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that purifies us. He who has this hope within himself purifies himself because when he returns, I want to be found ready and I want to be found doing what he's called me to do. You know, you ever as a Christian have, a, have a, mo- a moment or a time in your life when you're thinking to yourself, I hope he doesn't come back now, you know. This isn't a good time, Lord, you know. And, and, and you have that feeling because you're like, man, I wouldn't want him to come back now and see this. And it just naturally causes you to think of higher things. It's beautiful, And we ought to embrace that, even the conviction, even that hammering on your heart sometimes that God allows you to go through, it's for your edification. The Bible says that God disciplines who? Those whom he loves, because he's the best dad ever, but he's a dad from a whole different perspective than we could ever imagine, understand fully, or conceive you know, it's, 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 this, it's this thing where we have uh, also within us that wars against this understanding of the things of God, this flesh, this body of death that we're bound up in. Uh, that causes us to to fight and rail against the things of the Spirit. The Bible teaches us that our two natures that we have within ourselves are contrary to one another. They're continually struggling with one another. And in this life, in this life, guys, it's always going to be easier to let the flesh win. Because that's your reality. And and so human beings stand uh, in this reality and pass judgments on God or on God's decisions or on things that God allows or does because we stand on this side of things and everything that is within us and everything that is of our flesh seeks its own. And anything that seems contrary to my own or the things of this flesh or of this life that I love and hold dear and cling to I don't like, and that includes so many of the things that God allows. It's hard. And this is where our faith comes into practice. This is where our faith comes into play. Because when you go to funerals, and when you go and you talk to people who don't know Jesus, and they ask you, why? Why? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. i'll tell you what i believe i'll tell you what i believe i believe that this is not the end i believe that this is just the beginning and for anyone who would call the name of jesus christ there is in store for us in eternity a heavenly reward and a heavenly existence that we could never even begin to understand or conceive It is so great and it is so far above and beyond. You know, when you're young when I was young and I you know, growing up in the church with dad as a pastor, you know, it's like you can't get away from it, you know. You come in the door, you know, are you honoring Jesus with your life? You're like your life. I just want to can I just live my life, you know? And and you you you, you don't you don't think about the mortality of it all. And and you don't want to I want to enjoy this life and you're holding on to this life and the things of this world. But man oh man, the older you get the further you go and the, and the further you go on, you start to see, man, it's looking better on the other side. It's looking better and better on the other side. And so many of the things that you, uh, as a kid, you know, I remember I always, oh, since I was 12 years old, you know, a little bit of a weirdo, I always wanted to be married and have kids, you know what I mean? And I would ask girls, will you marry me, you know? And they would say, you know, you disgust me. And, and I'm calling the authorities. And I always did. I always wanted to be married. I always did. And I, and, I and I would say, Lord, gosh, I, I hope you don't come back before I get married. Or I hope you don't get back before this birthday party, this ripping epic birthday party that I'm going to be at this weekend. You know, and I'd have these thoughts. i feel bad about it, you know. Uh, you know but, but constantly, you know. And and then as you get older and you experience all of these wonderful things, these wonderful things, but as you go through life and you experience these things—marriage and children and family and all the great things that life has to offer—once you experience it, you realize. I hope that's not it. You know, boy, I, I I really really want to experience the things of God now. I really want to experience all the things that God has promised in His Word, and it gives you that it gives you that heavenly perspective. And as we're going through the book of Exodus, and we're going to try to read through the entire chapter, chapter 28 uh, of Exodus today, um, we're talking about the priesthood, and I want us to, to focus on the spiritual aspect of everything that God is laying out here for the children of Israel through Moses. First he starts with the articles of the tabernacle, then he moves on to the tabernacle itself, Uh, And now he is from there talking about the priesthood and the garments of the priesthood. And we're going to go through that, and we're going to try to get through it quickly. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar... And do you know why God chose these men? Because God chose these men. That's it. Well, there must have been some characteristics. There was nothing. A couple of them God's going to kill, okay, along the way, because they acted in disobedience to God's word. God chooses whom he chooses. Now, again, from our perspective, and we try to grasp and rein in these things of God, how can God know everything and yet I still have free will choice? You understand what I'm saying? You know, it's like an ant watching us walk by and go, yeah, hey, can they be? You know, they can't understand possibly the, the reality of your life and all of the things that are going on. You know, why do they step on us? Why do they hate us so? You don't even know they're there, you know? Uh, you, there's, not that that's what God's doing here, okay? But, but it's perspective. It's perspective. Why did God choose them? Because He chose them what specific reasons i have no idea and anyone who tells you they know exactly why is not being honest or is trying to know more than they ought to god chooses whom he chooses does that relieve us of any responsibility in our transaction with god absolutely not because the scripture lays this lays this out for us that we must confess his name that we must make a decision for jesus christ the fact that God knows beforehand every single thing that's going to happen and the fact that he's already laid it out before time began does not alleviate our responsibility in the least at all. It's simply a matter of perspective. And from my perspective, I mean, do you understand the Trinity? Please. Do you understand eternity? If you really sit and try to think about eternity and understand and think in your mind, and contemplate eternity, eventually your mind just shuts off. You can't fully go there because you cannot imagine an existence without the the, the parameters of time, space, and matter. But that's where God lives, and that's where God dwells. He is so far above us us and beyond us, and he's given us these things that he's given in his his word for us to take by faith, to put into practice in our lives, and some things to understand fully. But there's other things that he has not given us. You know why? Why? Is this the same reason you would not try to teach Latin to a mouse? It is futile. We cannot know. We cannot understand. And always in your relationship, your personal relationship with God, and in your ministering to other people and trying to bring them to God, you must understand that no matter how much you can share, and no matter how much Bible knowledge you might have, and how much you can prove to them from your your mindset and your standpoint, that there is a God and that this is His Word, it always is always, always, always going to come back to faith. And this is what we're taught in the New Testament Scriptures. Abraham, he's the example. He is the father of those who believe. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's the belief. I believe what God says. I cannot prove unequivocally. I love watching the videos and the movies about creation and about the flood and about all of these things. But then, when I see some scientists out there and go, "The flood is a ridiculous notion because blah 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 blah," I don't go, oh, "No, no, what are we gonna do?" Like, talking about the articles of the temple and the menorah, they're trying to—they have a menorah in Israel that they have prepared for the for the temple. But to me, I hope I don't offend anybody. To me, it's a joke. They couldn't build the menorah according to the specifications of the Bible. They had to put a framework within it because they couldn't get the gold from drooping when they built it to the specifications of the Bible. So what was going on there? Did they have a a level of craftsmanship and a way to work the gold that we don't even understand today? Or is it simply that they made it according to what God said and it worked? Understand that the new temple that's going to be built in Jerusalem is not God's. It is an abomination, and on that abomination will be the desolation of the Antichrist going in and proclaiming that he's God, at which point in time the children of Israel's eyes will be opened. But we don't go, all oh, to the temple as Christians. There is no temple. You're the temple. These things are a shadow, but the reality is God, faith. It always, always is going to come back to faith. He is the God of those who. Who believe? Do you believe? That's how you're justified. That's how you're sanctified. That's how you're glorified. It's faith through grace, right? That's the gospel. That's the good news. So, God chose them because He chose them. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans whom I have have filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons that he may minister to me as priest. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen, artistically worked. It shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship, made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, You shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel, and you shall set them in settings of gold, and you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as, uh, as a memorial, and you shall also make settings of gold. And you shall make two chains of pure gold, like braided cords, and fasten the braided chains to the settings. Now, you can go uh, on, on, online, on Google, and I hope that you do. This is, this is, this is interesting, fun stuff, okay? To go into uh, Internet land, okay, and look these things up, and look at pictures, and look at models of the temple, and look at models of the robes. But, but I promise you this, okay? And maybe this is just me again. You're not going to be that impressed. I mean, when I, when I, when I, when I, I, okay. It looks like a shoebox. It looks like a shoebox with the thing around it. I, I mean, are you offended right now because you're superstitious? It looks like a matchbox or something. You understand this? This is this is purely. This is purely saying, God's saying to the children of Israel, I'm going to give you, okay, ants, right? These little, these little instruments and, and your gold and your fine, And I want you to make for me in your worship of me a model of that which is in the heaven. It is a crude, crude model. And everything there is to make a point. Everything there is to point to something, to picture something. Aaron's priestly garments... Were significant. Were significant, not in the garments themselves, but in what they represented. All of this, all of this. Bridge, here's what you need to know. It was adorned beautifully. It was the finest linen that, that that they had. It was gold. It was it was artisans who were skilled craftsmen who were employed to do this work and to make this ephod. And to put these engravings uh, on these stones that he would carry on his shoulders. The important thing is, here is the priest of God. He's chosen by God. And he's adorned intricately, beautifully, to carry the names of the sons of Israel before the Lord their God. That's what's important. That's what's important for us to remember. That was his station because that's what God had chosen him to do. And, and, and and when you look it up and you see the priestly garb, you're gonna be like, that's, okay. To me, you know, when we were in Israel even, we're at the Temple Institute, I'm like, cool, yeah, that's, I wouldn't wear it, but cool, you know, good, good for you, you know. What, what did they represent? This is, this is the whole point of everything here okay the two onyx stones engraved with the names of all the sons of israel six on each and he carries them on his shoulder bearing them before the Lord. all of this is spiritual and this is the interesting thing is that all of this was taken and made into a religious a religious thing and everything that they did in their worship of god was about the actions and the things and the focus went off of the one whom they were worshiping this is what Jesus finds when he comes on the scene, OK? is he finds a people who are deeply, deeply religious, and they are completely immersed in all of these things, and yet they have totally lost, they have totally lost focus on what it all means, on what it's all for and what God really requires of them. And that's what Jesus does as he begins to deal with their heart. Um, in the book of Zechariah, chapter three. And this is interesting um, because here Zechariah in a vision stands before the Lord. uh, And it says in Zechariah 3, 1 through 5, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to, to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. Now understand, this is a vision that Zechariah is having, okay, in, in, in heaven. And was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes and I said let them put a clean turban on his head so that they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by so here's the picture that we have this vision that Zechariah is having in the heavenlies Joshua the high priest and he's standing before God He's standing before God as high priest to serve the people but what's the problem with Joshua he's covered he's, he's clothed in filthy garments which is what a picture of sin A picture of his own uncleanness. And God himself says, We will remove the filthy garments and dress you in rich robes. This is a picture of righteousness. And it's not a picture of Aaron's righteousness. It's not a picture of the the righteousness of the priests. It is 100% a picture of being clothed in God's righteousness. According to his specifications. Not righteousness as I see it, or righteousness as I think it should look, but righteousness specifically the way God has specified it to be, the way God has called out that it should be. And now Aaron stands before God with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on his shoulders. Um, Verse 15, And you shall make the breastplate of judgment, artistically woven, according to the workmanship of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen you shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length, and a span shall be its width. That's like a span of a hand. And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. And the second row shall be uh, a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings." And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name they shall, they shall be according to the twelve tribes. What is God saying here? As the priest goes before God with the names of the children of Israel, of the tribes of Israel on his shoulders, to minister on their, in their behalf before God, God's purification takes place. And now their names are written on precious stones. This is how God sees those who are in Christ Jesus. This is how God sees us in his righteousness. Okay? He goes in there to deal with the, his own sins and the sins of the people. But on his breastplate, on His breastplate, precious stones with each of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel written. This is how God sees his people according to his holiness. And the stone shall have the names. I said that. Uh, Verse 22 You shall make chains for the breastplate at the end, like braided cords of pure gold. And you shall make two rings of gold for the breastplate, and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Then you shall put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings, which are on the ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put them on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. All this, guys, is how it's, this is how it's hooking to them, okay? This has got the gold breastplate with the precious stones, with the names of the, of the twelve tribes of Israel, each of the sons of the twelve tribes of Israel, and these are all the braided cords and everything that are holding it on his body, Okay? You shall make two rings of gold and put them in the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod. And the two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. They shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using a blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod. So that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. Okay? And it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's not very exciting. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay? But it's interesting. God is very specific here, isn't he? And it's interesting because, you know, this is man doing the best that they can. And God is accepting it because they're doing it in faith according to his specifications. It doesn't matter that you look at the priestly garments and you're like, "That's that's it, huh?" Okay. What matters is the faith and the obedience that these men were going to put into putting this together the way God instructed. And God even down to the detail of making sure that this breastplate with the precious stones, with the names of the sons of the twelve tribes of Israel on the chest of the priest, was secure. That it was securely fastened. What's God saying? This isn't just loosey-goosey, willy-nilly, okay? Our hope, our faith in God is sure. It is sure. And everything is set in order and in its place. Man, oh man, am I grateful for that. Because I am a disaster. I am a disaster. And most of the Thomases are disasters, okay? Like, like I, we go and I'm like, well, where is this and where is that? We don't know. We don't know where that's gone. We, it was just there. And why can't we find anything? And why are we, can't there be one of us? (laughs) Can't there be one of us in this family who can remember where anything is? Or can do anything in its correct way, right? Why do we all got to be, that's my job, right? One of you has to be, and no, it's a mess. So, when God does everything decently and in order, and everything that he's established, everything that he's established is specific and with purpose, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, when when, when in in the guys that I ride dirt bikes with them, these guys are, they've got problems of their own and they're very, very obsessive compulsive. Every single thing is in their place. Right. When I go into Marty's trailer, he begins to sweat immediately. (laughs) I see the sweat begin because he knows what's he going to touch and where's he going to put it? Because when he comes to me, where'd you put that? Like, I don't know. I don't know where that went. I don't know where anything is. I forgot where my bike is, and where am I? God, everything is done in order, in perfection. This is exactly how I want it to look. And the job of the people was to do, to do one thing, to simply obey. Why? why can you just say, you know and you know people, don't you? Well, why this? But why that? And why don't I say, I would do it this way, or write it this way. This is exactly how I want it to look, and this is exactly how it should appear. So they shall bind the breastplate, verse 28, by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using the blue cord so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. And so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. Can you see the picture here? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's symbolic in what God is doing here. Here, Aaron is going into the holy place to make uh, to make atonement uh, on behalf of the people, to, to to sprinkle that blood on the table, to sprinkle that blood on the ark of the covenant, on the mercy seat, and he bears their names, and they're secure. Verse 30, and you shall put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. And you can, you can do some research and look up what was the Urim, Urim and the Thummim, what were these stones, how did they work, how was he able to decipher God's will through these stones, and you get ten different answers. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Okay? That's one of those things that you're like, I must know. You must not. You don't even need to know. Right? All of this is a shadow. This is how God was working at that time in the old covenant with the children of Israel. And you can you can just take you can just rest in that. You can rest in that. I don't know how they work. Some people believe that the stones would light up. You know what I mean? Uh, like like, like uh, Simon says or whatever. And, and that's how Aaron would... No, seriously. Or, or that the Orm and Zoom would actually be cast like lots and be chosen. This is a yes, this is a no. Maybe. Great. God, God knows. You shall make the robe of the ephod of all blue, all of blue, and there shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it. You know, that's a good idea. Otherwise, he looks like one of those little blue ghosts from Pac-Man, you know, So there's a hole in the middle of it, and it shall have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening in a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet all around its hem, and bells of gold between them all around. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers, and its sound will be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, that he may not die. Yikes. You know, and then when God throws that part in, right? Do this and this and this and this and this. You know, if you're one of those kids, you're like, uh uh-huh, uh 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 uh-huh, uh-huh, that you may not die. What was that, third one? What was that specifically? How was that to be? Bell- make sure you hear the bells. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, traditions, rabbinical tradition says that actually they would actually tie a rope around the high priest's ankle. Just in case he went into the most holy place because he goes in there and you hear the. And Then you hear. OK, he's dead. He's definitely dead. God killed him for some reason. And then he pulled him out because you don't walk. You can't go in there. You can't go in there. God is very specific. You know, later on we're going to get to uh, David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back up to Jerusalem, remember. And they're bringing it up on a cart and it starts to tip. And Uzziah reaches out to steady the Ark and touches the Ark and God strikes him and he dies. And David is mad about it. But God didn't need Uzziah's help. And he had made a commandment, thou shalt not. (laughs) You don't touch the Ark. It goes in the holy place. And once a year... The high priest goes in there to minister before the Lord and sprinkle the blood. Specific. Um, Verse 36, you you also shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put, uh, put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban in front, excuse me, it shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall always be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. Holiness unto the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. Set apart. Sanctification. Chosen by God to be used in his service. To bear the people's sins. You shall skillfully weave the tunic of fine linen thread. You shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make the sash of woven work. For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. Remember when they're building the stone altar and God said, you know, don't put steps to the altar. So that when you walk up, people are like, oh, Aaron, you know, cover yourself. You know what I mean? See right up your robe, you know. Seriously. God's like, there's no distraction. I, I, I want them covered. I want them completely covered. I want it to be fine linen, pure, and I want them to be covered. Their nakedness needs to be covered. You understand? I'm, I'm, I'm making a little bit of a joke here and there, but their nakedness needs to be covered. Remember the Garden of Eden, right? And when they ate the fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because they saw that it was pleasing for food and the eye and touch and for gaining knowledge, and so they eat it because they had been deceived, and their eyes were opened, and they saw what they didn't want to see. They realized that they were naked, and they were immediately ashamed and then they immediately began to go and try to make coverings for themselves to cover their own nakedness. Remember when God showed up and he says, who told you that you were naked? Right? Well, we were, we were hiding because we were naked. And so we were hiding ourselves. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? And so now for all time, uh, before the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and, 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 even, and because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that's to cover our spiritual nakedness. You know, the shame that goes there. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing to cover their nakedness. Um, And you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness, and they shall reach from the waist to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. We're going to stop there. Um, I just want to read a couple of encouraging verses for you. Okay? Because hopefully as we are reading through this, you're thinking, sitting there going, oh, can it please stop? Can it please end? This is so tedious. It, it, it's, it's so tedious. Can you imagine being the one that was charged to make the stuff? And it's got to be specific. And what's worse, if you're one of the priests... And you've got to make sure everything is specific and purposeful so that you don't die. So that your nakedness is covered. And so that when you go before God, you're doing it in an appropriate manner and you don't die. Can you imagine? And there was fear there. And there was trembling there. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 to 14 says this. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. With a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Right? You go up and you see the tabernacle in heaven, you're not going to be like, that's it. <laughs> you, we see the, the heavenly tabernacle, we're going to be like, no. I mean, wow. Not made with hands. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all. Having obtained eternal redemption... For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. In him you also you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. "...by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, that is our nakedness, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you, here it is, all trespasses." You know how much all is? It's all. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, that is the law, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Everything that we're reading about here, everything that we're reading about here, all of this has been nailed to the cross. There is nothing... There is absolutely nothing that separates us from God. Jesus Christ has made the way. He lives forever, the Bible says, to make intercession on our behalf. And we are covered in his blood spiritually. We are forgiven and we can enter into his presence. He has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, Christians, this is for you. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which what are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is Christ. It's so funny. You read through the Old Testament and you're like, Oh my goodness gracious, this is tedious. I can't imagine having to serve this. I can't imagine having to be every single day involved in the shedding of blood for the remission of my sin. Every single day involved in this. And hoping that I did it all right. And now, because of what Christ has done, all that has been taken away. And Christians are like, that's too easy. There's got to be more. There's got to be more I have to do. There's nothing more. Every single thing has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the promise and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And thank you for the things that were written, Lord, that we can see uh, as a beautiful example, Father, of what you were showing the people as it pertained to what Christ would accomplish, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would help us to bask in the celebration of that victory, uh, Lord, and that we would never allow ourselves, Father, to be weighed down um, with with the, with the guilt, uh, Lord, and the condemnation. Um, of, of our own superstition, Lord, uh, or, or religious prejudices, Lord, but we would understand, each of us, that we are completely free and set apart by the blood of Jesus Christ to love you, to serve you, to worship you, to praise you, Father, and to be grown in, in your glorious grace, Lord, and mercy, to be conformed into the image of your Son, Jesus, Lord. Have your way with us, we pray, Lord. We pray that you would bless each person as they go their way. Lord, I ask, Father, the God, that you would guide their footsteps you would give them opportunity to minister, Lord, and to talk about Jesus this week. Lord, and I pray that you would put within their hearts a joy that would be uncontainable, Father. Mm-hmm. And that would be unable to be hidden. Uh, and that people would see it, Lord, coming from miles away, Lord. And they would want to understand and know why these people have joy, why these people have hope. Father, I pray that you would watch over them and protect them. I pray that you bless them and their families, Lord, and that you would be with them in all that they do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.